with me today is Nicole Snow. So give it up for Nicole. Wow, that was quite a, we're just really, you know, these guys are, they amaze me actually. So it's an eight o'clock class. Did you yeah, take a lot of? I was expecting like four people here. And when I get here, and I get here like five of eight, yeah. They're lining the hallway. Like they're already here. I think like a good 80% of the class is already here. That's incredible. It is pretty incredible. Yeah, Isn't part of like just being successful in business just showing up and showing up on time? Showing up early. Showing up early. Yeah. How early? 15 minutes. 15 but if you minutes. have an interview though, sit in your car until you're like six minutes out. I shared that, didn't I, already? Don't come too, like that annoys oh, me. I hate that. Yeah, yeah, it drives me crazy. I just stick them in the break room and then you have to sit there really awkwardly and talk to everyone. Yeah, then I say, you know what? I was supposed to meet you at eight. I'm not gonna meet you till 8.02. I do the same thing passive-aggressively. Is that passive-aggressive? It is. I guess it is. All right. So I thought, I want to get the backstory, but before we do, just for them to get a sense of what it is you do, do, what your business is, and then we'll get into what led to where you are today. Yeah, so um, we're over in Half Moon, right outside of Clifton Park. Um, I have an e-commerce business that... um, that I've grown in the past three years has actually grown a little over 900%. So we're on track this year to finish out about at around $8 million in sales. Um, Fastest I, growing company in the capital region, period. It's official. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Might have I interrupt you a little no, bit? No, no, I love that. Actually, like the other couple of businesses under me are um, owned by men. No offense, guys, but <laughs> in the three years that we had, we got that fastest growing business stat, I actually had a baby. Uh, during that time too, so I have a two-year-old running around, so that's like our go-girl power thing. Um, go-girl power. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, a, it's a lot of work because you're, you're balancing. You're balancing like two different. You didn't things. miss a beat. It seems like. Uh, or did you? Is it I mean, out? I just don't. I don't sleep as much anymore. <laughs> I'm tired. Botox. <laughs> um, but yeah, I um, I grew the business. So the business is ten years old. And I grew it um, really just out of my love for textures and I wanted to learn how to knit and I just grew it, you know, it was kind of a side project. I've, um, I was like, oh, you know, let me sort of like import this yarn from India. I was really into like the textures and the colors coming from there. I had another small business prior to that um, that I used some of my contacts for in India. And um, when I went to go reorder the yarn, because I sold a little bit of it, I like had one other small website, and this was back in 2005, so it's not like you have like the Shopify's of the world. I don't know, is anyone familiar with Shopify? Okay, so Shopify is, um, if you're looking to do an online store, it's like probably the leading online utility that helps you load product <coughs> and create a website so that you can sell it, and it creates like the transactional interface between the customer and then your product itself, so you're not coding that out. So back in the day, you had to code all of that out, and it was a lot of heavy lifting. So I had this small little side business. I taught myself how to code. Wow. And um, well, it was like HTML. Like, it's not. Oh, it's just HTML, okay. Well, I mean, you have, you have the Google, so you can learn yeah. anything. And like, you know, you, you sometimes forget like, oh, how do I code this? And it's really just a matter of typing it into Google. And like, there's so many business questions out there that even today, I'm like, I have to interview someone for customer service position. What question should I ask? Okay, thank you, Google. Okay, and then you run into it. So, you know, we use technology so much, um, but going back 10 years ago, the product itself, what's special about Darn Good Yarn and the product, is that it comes and it's made from um, recycled materials. So reclaimed and upcycled materials in India. Um, I saw a need where a lot of waste material 
um, overseas that just gets tossed into rivers and. So what kind of material is that? Like, what's it being? You what's its first use before it gets? So like usually like silk saris. So like a lot of you know women in Southeast Asia like they're being wrapped in saris. Um, like they're those long sort of wraps and they go over and they're like super ethnic looking. They're really beautiful. There's tons of material on them. Um, so when a factory reject happens, you're dealing with six meters of material then that has to be thrown out. Um, and then we are coming in, like with co-ops, coming in, collecting that material, and then breaking it down and reusing it for what we're creating for product. What do you mean by collecting it? Like literally taking it out of the garbage? Or? Like, yeah, like out of the garbage, or if, it's, if there's like a cutting room floor, like think about like really big manufacturing plants, we'll just throw it on the floor, and when it's swept away, like we'll just pick it up. And that's so not illegal at all? No, because it's going to get disposed of. Like we have, we have, um, we we work with other companies because it's better for them. They're not dealing with the disposal of the actual product. So do you, do you like talk to them? Be like, hey, we're going to come this day, pick up what you got. Yeah, pretty much, okay. pretty much. Or they'll, yeah, or they'll collect it. I mean, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of like entry level labor in India, like a ton just because of the caste system. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to like. Um, rework it's just, that it's just part right. of their culture yeah. so generally it just gets bundled up and then we can even get it delivered are they asking for like uh cut of the no profits at all? no no because it's for them like think about like if you had a warehouse and you're creating lots of lots of boxes like yeah. your boxes are your kind of biggest headache because you have to deal with county waste or whatever picking them up and i only say that because i've been dealing with county so waste cutting their waste costs and that's cutting your waste costs and they're not and you're not and they're not even dealing with the actual disposal like people are coming and picking it up okay. yeah yeah. I didn't acknowledge you though. Nice job getting. I acknowledge. I'm that. sorry. No, it's I'm taking right. control. Right. Sorry. So um, <laughs> my passive aggressive side just came out. So so go ahead. So, so yeah. So good question. Though. Yeah. So um, we're collecting all this waste material, and like to date, it's about over two million pounds of waste material. So we're talking lots, big quantities here. Um, the original product we had was recycled silk yarn. So we took that waste material, tore it up, spun it into yarn for knitters and crocheters. What a lot of people don't realize, and they're usually shocked, is that the craft industry is a $44 billion industry. So it's, it's huge. So you just need a small little snippet of it to make, you know, make a little bit of movement. Um, we, I, I kind of did that on my own for the first like five or six years. I worked two other jobs initially. Um, so it was a big, it was a pretty big hustle. So you're hired, you're an employee someplace. I was an employee at two other places. And then I did this on the what side. What were you doing, what were the other two? They yeah, I was, um, yeah, I was an executive assistant for a commercial real estate investor in California. Okay. So we were doing like big real estate transactions and I actually learned a lot of business, like just how like big money works. Okay. And that was one of like the best, um, that was one of the best experiences. People think like assistant and you're like, oh, I'm just filing papers. But if you attach yourself to someone who's like super successful, like I couldn't pay for that knowledge. And then the other job I did, I was working with a financial advisor, um, training to be a registered investment advisor. So my takeaway from those kind of things is that there's nothing wasted. Just like Dr. Yes. Young, really. Yeah. That those experiences all can play a part. So whatever you're doing, even if you think like, I'm just working as a cashier at McDonald's, do not minimize that. There's something you maybe you don't want it to be there forever, you know. You didn't stay for I don't know how long you stayed there, but everything has an opportunity to be, to be a learning experience that can actually catapult you to the next level. Yeah, I, I would like you know the cool thing about business. Like before, you know, continuing on the story, but um, I'll continue on with that and then let's go back to that thought. But so that grew. I you know the yarn was sort of a big part of it, and then um, I realized that. Uh, our sales cycle was sort of doing this, you know, when it was hot out, no one was buying yarn, when it was cold out, everyone was buying yarn. 
So I'm like, how can I kind of smooth that out to keep cash flow more steady? Because I'm totally self-financed. Everything's come from my savings. Um, so I said, well, let me add some like skirts and like some clothing and apparel. And that, that now has grown and that's 73% of our revenue. So it's wow. like people go like, oh, you sell yarn. I'm like, yeah, but we also sell these skirt things. And those actually make us like millions of dollars every year. So it's insane. So you hire people or do people have little shops that they can contract with you to yeah. make mm -hmm. this how it works? Yeah. yeah, we have about, we, we now have a little over 50 suppliers between India and Nepal. And they're small business owners just like me. Um, but we all share, like so we go through a questionnaire, they get vetted by one of my buyers oh. over in India to make sure that we're just sharing the same ethics. So fair treatment of their workers, that they're using reclaimed materials, um, things that are true to our, like hold true to our values as well. Um, and we, um, yeah, we just like, we, we're always working together. I mean, it's, it's a hustle. I love working with India because like, it's just like, how gritty can we get? Like, okay, this piece of trash, how can we turn this into something? Um, and that's, it's what's cool. I chat to my wife all the time. She gets mad at me. You know? like, I pick things off the streets and stuff. And no, we're really. How can we reclaim it? I love, yeah. I'm all about yeah. it. You I, have to. Seriously. No, it's great. Anyone have questions before we, I keep, I got some stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, how did you like originally get like involved with like people in India mm -hmm. and Nepal? Yeah, so there's a website called Trade India, and of course everyone knows Alibaba as well. Alibaba was a lot smaller back in the day. Um, and then I also, so like reaching out on those websites and you can put um, requests for quotes out. And the way I did that vetting process is, um, so importing can be scary, right? If you work with China, they're like, okay, you need a minimum order of 20,000 units of one color. And like small business owners are like, oh my God, like. It's, it's a huge risk. So going to India and finding other small business owners that are willing to work with you, I would put a, an RFQ out for request for request for quote quote yes for like twenty units of something. And I was just like, let's see who like plays ball. And what wound up happening is I found some really good suppliers that um, are like, yeah, we'll we'll sell to you and we'll work with you. And though I still have some of those original suppliers. Um, did you have to go there? Did you want to see Not it for yourself? Not okay. um, initially. I went like a couple of years later. I'm um, just, you know, I didn't really think the business was going to grow the way it did. It is a surprise, right? It's, a, it's always a surprise. So did you, I know Bela asked this question as well, so I want to give Bela a shout out for my blog. Yeah, um, but in terms of like internationally, you know, do you, are there certain hurdles you have to cross in terms of being approved and, and just customs and all these mm -hmm. things that it's way more complicated just opening up a storefront here? So, you know, I think that's a, it's a little bit of a misconception. Um, I, in terms of importing, you just have to. I don't want to say like you have to geek out a little bit, but there's um, you can call up, you can call up and use one of the main carriers like UPS or FedEx. And if you're thinking about opening a a business that imports, you can actually work with one of their brokerage people there. You can get an account rep, and they'll work with you and help you oh. navigate some of that. Okay. Um, I know the Chamber of Commerce also has really great resources for learning how to import as well. So you don't have to be an expert. So we talked a little bit no, about this. You don't have to you be you can't an, be. Okay, one sec. You don't have to be an expert in everything. No, you, you can't be because the laws are constantly uh, changing. Um, the one thing I did do, I don't want to call it sneaky, but I, I developed my products so that they wouldn't get hit with too many taxes um, and tariffs. And that's kind, <laughs> that's kind of important. That's, I think, why we've been able to make our um, prices very steady and not have spikes you know, as laws change. Um, a lot of other yarns, like cottons, they deal with like these huge spike changes um, all the time, which is, you'll see um, cotton fluctuations or whatever. And I didn't even want, like my brain can't handle that. 
Um, so I went into what's called the Harmonized Tariff Codes. What's it called? Harmonized Tariff Codes. Harmonized Tariff Codes. codes. HTC. Okay. They're available. You can look them up online. But what I did is I went through and I, you can type in like keywords. So I typed in yarn. And then I went through and I looked at what gets taxed the most and what's, what gets taxed the least. And it was waste silk yarn actually comes in duty free with no taxes. Um, so. You know what that means, duty free? Duty free. So if you import something, so say you buy something online, um, over certain values, the government will say, okay, since you're buying from another country and you're getting at, we know you're getting it at this lower price, we're going to try leveling the playing field with U.S. manufacturers. So we're going to levy a 12% or even a 20% tax on this product you're importing. It's like, they can be really steep. And I remember in the beginning, I did make a couple mistakes, and you're like, $3,500 tax bill? Like, oh my God. <laughs> But, um, so duty-free, you don't pay that at all? Duty-free, you don't pay that. Um, Can I grab a question over here? Yeah, and then I, please. All right, so um, I was curious, like, when the business really started to grow, did you find like the success hard to handle like not knowing when to buy more supplies and like when to spend more money to potentially grow more? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I got smart students there. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. I so. think... It wasn't so much difficult to deal with the success. It was, um, I had to get a, a very good knowledge and understanding of like what my finances actually meant. So like when, it, when I was in college as a business student, I, like my accounting and finance classes, I did terribly in. So I wound up getting and hiring a really great bookkeeper who like part of his job description was to also pretty much make up for the lack of education I got when I was in college <laughs> that I didn't absorb. So, um, but you can't know every. I mean, really, you no, also you have to can't. be a vision person. You want to have somebody that's going to have some of that. Yeah, so he helped guide me. So, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, like, hiring people that are smarter than me in their specific, like, functions in life. So a good finance person. And then what we did is we he helped me really understand what my whole ecosystem is as it relates to marketing. So he's like, Look, Nicole, like as your business is right now, if you spend 20% more here, you can probably expect a 40% growth here. And once we start to understand that, we could apply um, key indicators, like KPIs, to, to what our expenditures are. So right now I can tell you in my company, and this is like, you know, this is a lot of people and a lot of like bookkeepers and accountants looking at things, but um, I can spend a dollar on Facebook right now and I can expect $3 in sales back within 30 days. Wow. So we have like that kind of, we've, we've been able to get that down and dirty with our numbers, but it is, it's, and I think that's what it was. Like, I think sometimes you go like, oh, I think that ad did well. If you don't have the numbers to back it up, you shouldn't be making the financial <clears throat> decisions around that. Does that help? Yeah. Well, I wanted to go back though yes. to the Business. McDonald's thing. Okay, yes. <coughs> Sorry. So every job that you're in, I really do think, Business is one of these things, like I've been involved with the arts community for like 10 years now, and I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs who like make stuff on Etsy, and then they can't apply their art stuff, like they're getting blocked to be a business person. I'm like, it's just a different medium. Like you might be painting or knitting or whatever. Business is just a different medium, and it's your ability to be creative. So if you're working in that McDonald's job, and say you're like at a register, you are really doing industrial engineering because if you can decrease how many steps or whatever you're taking, oh, okay. you're, you're shrinking that down. So if you okay. got into an operational setting like in a warehouse, um, because warehouses are like logistics is where it's at right now um, in terms of the fastest growing companies in the U.S. Um, 
you can apply that. And so I would tell you, like, if you're sitting in an interview, you'd be like, yeah, I worked at McDonald's. However, I saw what was going on here. Like, I understood why I was maybe making these movements and these movements. It's just applying that different creativity to a different medium. Yeah. Um, you could also even, I think, I think there's even, like, LinkedIn articles or something about going a little bit further than that, just that CEOs that got their start at McDonald's, as an example. You yeah. know, just as a, but yeah, you're to go in learning, not just like I'm going to put a burger in the microwave. Is that what they do? They put it in microwaves, or what do they do? Convection oven, probably. What? It's probably like a convection oven. Convection oven. Okay. I shouldn't work there, so I should know, but I don't think I really wanted to know. <laughs> but um, just paying more attention, not just to like what I'm going, but the what you said, the logistics of it, or the, yeah, you know, or the like the process, like what's the, the purpose of what I'm doing, um, and I think there's there's further applications down the road. Like the, are my best employees get the big picture. And I know that sounds so cliche, but it is understanding what your role in the whole. Do you have is. many like entrepreneurs work, entrepreneurs working for you? Cause you're, a, you're still, I mean, you're 10 years old, Yeah. but do you feel like you're still a startup field too? Or? Well, because of our growth, um, like I always think like, okay, maybe we'll be able to relax this week. And it's like, nope, next fire <laughs> like yeah. to, go, to jump into. But do you have people who yes. actually think on their feet and that yes. they take the ownership of things and Yes, but part of being a leader is like, so for example, tomorrow I'm doing strategic um, strategic thinking training with Carrie and Amanda, who were my number two and three at the business. So there's always that development <coughs> of your workforce to have them continue to think strategically. Okay. But they do, they are, I mean, everyone is, when anyone comes to work for Darn Good Yarn, the people that succeed, I always tell them in their interview, is are the ones that are entrepreneurial. So if you take your job and you're like, okay, I'm owning this like this is my own part of the business. Um, that's what you do, and then they get rewarded, you know, monetarily. Yeah. Well, I always feel like, um, you know, okay, one sec. Um, I always feel like, just so you don't have your own work the whole time, um, that you know, I always tell people the way to keep your job is to solve your boss's problem. Mm -hmm. You know, just whatever that is. But then looking for ways to, um, you know, make something, you know, like you said, the financial guy that worked for you was able to see something further and say, you know, if we do this, mm -hmm. we don't, you know, and now how that took off. You yeah. Know? So, um, okay. How many do you have on the payroll? Um, right now I have 11 with about 15 contractors working on different things. Just to put it in context, um, I mean, $8 million in revenue and how much, and what's your uh, margin? I mean, can 62%. You, okay, so meaning that you pay 62%. How does that work? Give me the, um, so you're taking 62% of every, for every dollar that yeah, you bring 62, in. 62% goes to, so like that's after cost of goods and our operational costs. 62% then we can reinvest back into salaries. That's an amazing margin. Yeah, it's, it? pretty, it's really that's good. Yeah. amazing margin. Um, we, we can put that into salaries, um, employee benefits, marketing, things like that. And future growth. Future growth, yeah. All right. And one of the things that you noticed when we, when we had Hyla here, the same thing, is there were some pivots here. She started out with yarn. But then it really took off to be um, the actual manufacturing of goods. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and that's where we're going to now. I mean, like, I don't know if you, if you're following the business news, but like Dunkin' Donuts just announced that they're dropping donuts from their name because over. What do you think of that? I think it's great. I think it's stupid. Really? Yeah. I mean, I guess. Do, you think it's a school. Don't be I old school. Care. I think it's great. Because do you think it's like an IHOP? You know. Uh, no, I I think I think people. Boy. I I think. People realize that there's 26 grams of fat and donuts and they're buying more, yeah, okay. <laughs> more coffee. Um, I saw a hand over here. Josiah? Yeah. Uh, like, I know, like, the apparel 
So mm-hmm. like online, it's probably like a wide range demographic. But yeah. With like the yarn itself, you try to target specific areas, or have you yeah. reached out to like old people homes and been like, you probably should be waiting more for the story? Like, well, our that remark. <laughs> our yarn, our yarn is um, a little higher price than like what you'll get in like in Walmart or Michaels, and oh, that's okay. that's okay. So what we wound up doing, we have um, kind of two different product types where we have a subscription box. Um, which is at 10 bucks a month. We have 12,000 people a month signed up on that. Um, and that actually hits a lower demographic. So, you know, millennials and stuff like, we, none of us have money, really. Like, to start Are out. they, so they, subscription boxes, that mean that they're getting monthly, monthly shipments? Monthly subscription box, yeah. So they're actually getting shipments. Though, shipments, monthly. yeah. So kind of like the razor, like um, the Dollar Shave kind of club. Yes, exactly. Okay. It's an awesome, it's an awesome uh, revenue model because you get Nice big old check on the first. And you're and you can that talking about that consistency of revenue. That's it's awesome. Yeah, we're looking to roll out another four four different subscription boxes and like with the technology upgrades, that's probably going to account for I'd say in the next twenty four months like probably five to six million dollars of revenue for us. Wow. Yeah. Have you tried like donating like to any of these like places where you know like like send them like a free box for the first month or something? And they, yeah. Like, be able to subscribe or like. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's part of your acquisition cost. So when you're looking at building up your customers and prospecting, you sort of say, okay, like Facebook, it's expensive. It's expensive to market on Facebook if you're doing it correctly. Um, like you know, you, some people might get lucky and like do a ten dollar boosted post or something. But um, like we're spending between five and eleven thousand dollars a day on Facebook, like wow. huge money. So um, when we're looking at acquisition costs, you're exactly right. We play with um, okay if it costs. Acquisition, you're talking about client acquisition. Client right? acquisition. So someone actually putting their Visa or Amex into my computer into the computer and checking out. Um, that might cost for our subscription box maybe fifteen bucks, right? And that's just to get them a flat sign up, no discounts. But if we were to offer a free month, and we've actually been we've just finished up the technology to do that and we're running tests on that right now. Um, to say, okay, if we're gonna give you that free month, maybe we get that <coughs> acquisition cost actually down to like three bucks. So we're actually a plus two, yeah. right? And so, buying fumbles, more yarn. yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you get them in, get their email address, and then you can actually start um, to um, to capture all of their information and their behavior. Online. You use Instagram as well, Pinterest, yeah. all those things. Yeah, not so much Pinterest. Um, it doesn't return the same way Facebook does. Okay. Like you, we really can't push past a two times return. So when I was saying like we spend one ad dollar, we get three back. Like Pinterest, I can spend one and maybe get two back if I'm lucky. Okay. Um, Facebook kills it for us. All right. And how many followers do you have on Facebook? I think a little over a quarter million. Quarter. That's amazing. Yeah. So, our, yeah. tell me about. Remember, you mentioned this is kind of an aside, but you had a friend that wanted to sell something. You go, I'll throw it on the. Even though it was not your business. Yeah. But you said you would just put it on your. And it sold out in like a day. What was that? What did we do? We sell a lot of things out in a day. Was it somebody who had like, I don't know. Candles or something, or it was something not at all in your space. It was a friend of yours. You go, yeah, I'll throw it up on Facebook for you. I, I do that kind of stuff all the time, so I yeah. can't even think like. <laughs> okay. Can I sell ties? Would you mind if I can I throw something on it? Yeah, actually, right. Mel wants me to sell, do, okay, to good. sell ties. I'll come yeah. up with something. Okay. You can Recycle shoes. I don't know about shoes because it's an inventory nightmare because of all the sizing. See, she knows everything. <laughs> like, I'm always, like, okay, so I'll come up with something though. All right. All right. Um, how about, we talked a little bit in the book, and not a whole lot, but about even like social enterprises that, you know, doing social good, you mm-hmm. know, business. So you obviously have helped people overseas yeah. getting livelihood. I mean, they, they probably yeah. make more money 
there than they would in an industry in their own country. Yeah, without. it's like three times, three to six times what they're making locally. Okay. Yeah. So that's, but also locally, I don't know, are you still with ARC? Yes, okay. yeah, we're actually so working you, with a couple of other ARCs. Okay, so tell them a little bit about what you do and how, who helps with inventory, correct? And yes, and everything, and yeah. So, because you can make, the bottom line here for me that you can share is just yeah. the idea, doing good does not mean that you have to suffer financially. You right. can actually do both and everybody yes. wins. So. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that. The other, the other, because I kind of went off on a tangent um, when thinking about demographics, and I'll get in my social good. That's okay. Is that um, we look at a, casting a wide net, and then we say, okay, how can we fill in products for different demographic sets? So we'll have the subscription box for a younger demographic, and then we'll have maybe like more robust pattern kits for a more affluent older audience. So we just make sure that we have a wide enough product range that sort of meets all of that. Um, so you would, like somebody who's paying that higher demographic, you want to make them feel elite a little bit, right? You yeah, to feel like yeah, You're exactly. getting something, okay, yeah. and they're going to pay a higher premium. Oh yeah, I mean even with our skirts, like we sell our, we sell five packs of skirts, it's 150 bucks, like that's a really high average order value for um, online generally, they're, it's around 30 bucks. So we're pushing that to an older, you know, richer demographic. Baby boomers are the wealthiest and most affluent um, demographic in this country. So just using some of that data, and that's how we figure out who and what we're going to sell to, knowing that the millennials will one day get better jobs and they'll be able to spend more money and then they'll have that brand. And you spend a lot of money on coffee, though, like Starbucks. I know. They do spend a crazy amount of money in... Premium in a broth IRA. That's, right. that's what I tell my daughter. She just did that. I'll talk Okay, so social okay, good. Okay, so social enterprise. Social um, Yeah, so another part of the business that I kind of left out a little bit is that we're... So we operate on what's called the triple bottom line framework. Has anyone heard that? Okay, so it's, um, if for those of you who don't know, it's um, when a business is based on not just profitability as a marker of success, but they're also looking out uh, for the planet and then the people involved with their supply chain or sometimes the customers they serve, uh, depending on how they're structured. So for us, working on that triple bottom line framework, um, the profit component is like a duh. But the, um, <laughs> the planet component, it comes from the reclaimed and recycled component of, of all of our materials that go into almost all of our products. And then the third in terms of people, for us, we've always done things the hard way. Like I could go have a lot of our stuff shipped off to China and just done for like half the price, really. Um, but for, for me as just a business owner, like kind of making my mom proud, that's what I always like to go back to. Like, would this make would my mom want to brag yeah, about good. this at work? Um, is uh, is that, like that we're creating sustainable employment for individuals that are have really been forgotten about in parts of India? So these are people like the true poor of like the whole globe, living on less than two dollars a day. So for us to come in and create a base base employment for them, so that they can start to save and send their kids to school. Like that's where you actually start to really see economic change. It's not when like UNICEF comes in and dumps some money and then they're out like maybe a year or two later. It's creating and it's a very long, slow game because um, and the stats around, you know, someone coming out of generational poverty even in the US, right, from our talk last week, is six years. It's um, when you're dealing with $2 a day and no real, um, in, in other countries on less than $2 a day, and no real social programs to support these individuals. It's it's a it's just a long game. You have to be willing to like set your roots down. That's why I think businesses really like. There's a lot of power to a business owner saying, okay, I'm going to plant my flag in these regions, and like let's just make this work, and we're going to grind it out, and I'm going to be here for the long term. Um, so we've 
we've manufactured the hard way. A lot of things are handmade, hand dyed. Um, the sewing is a little bit on the antiquated side. And you know, there's just small improvements. You just have to like, okay, to go get sewing machines for 100 people, those are huge expenditures. So we just, you know, you just sort of work it in slowly. Um, and it just keeps a lot of people employed. So right now we employ around 600 people wow. um, between India and Nepal. And that's just from us doing our job day in and day out selling here in the U.S. That's got to make you feel awesome. It's, it's amazing. And your mom must be really proud. I think she is. I don't think she quite knows, understands what I do. It's like, really? You know, I hear this all the time, though, from other business owners. Like, you know, you sell on the Internet. It's like this. Oh, right, you know. right. Now, Tony, you know, is old school from, you know, Italy. Yeah. His parents didn't know what um, the software was. Yeah. But they understood what the disc was. So he goes, I make the disc. They think you made the disc. <laughs> but he's like, okay, close enough. I told my dad a couple of weeks ago I was on Bloomberg TV. I'm going on. It's, yeah, it's going to be on like next month. Can you let me know? We'll yeah, I, I totally will. That's yeah. awesome. So I I'm in a group text with him and my grandmother, and he says, cool, K-E-W-L. I'm like, oh. <laughs> really? Like, it's Bloomberg, but okay, Dad. <laughs> so they never get it. My kids won't let me do K. You like when you say Oh, it? I hate that. That's awful. Okay. Yeah, you can't do that. So, so, so yeah. Oh, well, locally, so, yeah, so locally, also... yeah um, we chose to, again, do it a little bit more difficultly. Um, we worked with um, the local ARCs, uh, which give opportunities to adults with developmental disabilities. Um, and they do our kits. They help us, like, actually get our orders out. So our subscription boxes, when we're at 12000 a month, they're helping get those out the door. Um, and... It's just, it's again, that's a, it's sustainable employment. It's awesome. I've been to, now, is this still in Scotia as well? No, we're down in Albany and then in Saratoga right okay, now. Okay, so I was at her old office. I've been trying to get Nicole and Darn Good Yarn to do something with the Biz Lab forever. I'm annoying that way. But um, you really, like, it's an operation. It's awesome. I mean, you really have that thing. I mean, at least what I saw, I'm searching oh, yeah. more so. It's now. crazy. So, um, well, we're in like more than double the space now. Because oh, really? we moved from 4,500 square feet, now we're in a 12,000 square foot facility, and then we have two other operations off-site now. So a couple quick things that I'm just thinking about, and then we'll, Trish, did I ever get to you? I yes, did get to you, okay. Um, would you ever work with other, are you looking at other, are other countries in your horizon, or are you going to just stick with what's working right now? I think right now we're just going to stick with India. Um, we're dabbling a little bit with China. Um, it's a little more difficult to work with the Chinese. Like, it just is. And um, is, is what's happening with, um, you know, President Trump's tariffs and not knowing where it's going to land and all that, does that make you want to say, I'll just wait until that thing settles? A little bit, yeah. Okay. That's why we're not, like, going hot and heavy in there. Okay. I mean, we're just, we're vetting, we're vetting other suppliers within India. India's a huge country, so, um, like, our comfort factor is there, and we have, we kind of have a name for ourselves, too, like, in certain regions where we're, like, the main, um, the main customers. How about um, other product lines? Do you see yourself going into other things other than just um, skirts, right? Well, skirts, yeah. I mean, we're going to blow out that apparel we do line. Scarves. Scarves, yeah. We do scarves as well. Um, we're actually looking to make a sister company um, and strip off the skirts from Darnby Yarn to make that more like going back to its roots of just being a yarn company and having an apparel company that um, kind of, I don't want to say competes, but is similar to like a LuLaRoe concept because every single skirt is completely different um, because it's made from reclaimed material yeah. so there's sort of like that scarcity premium that happens with it as well so doing like live events on Facebook I think there's some scalability there so it's uh, all under the darn good brand darn good brand or snow okay. enterprises or whatever you want to call oh snow it. enterprises I'm just making that kind of thinking that's yeah. something okay. yeah. mogul um, up <laughs> what's that mogul up <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so, some any questions? For example, over here. This, oh, yes, Rachel. Um, I know you said that they make about three times more than they would in their own country. So, are you fair trade certified too? No, and I don't do that because I feel that it's a waste of money. Um, that if someone's going to know what that certification means, and they're willing to, if they've gone to that level of due diligence, I think if they look on my website and they see what we're doing like in terms of our videos, like that should be enough. Um, the fair trade certifications, you know, for the big companies, like that's awesome. Um, but for a small company like me, that cash is actually really important for us to do our job effectively. So like I get cash in one day and it's going out to whatever vendor to pay. Um, you're, you're talking the tens of thousands of dollars, like for each certification per year. So it's not like you just can put a stamp on the bottom of your website. Um, and I, that's just a personal thing. I'd rather take that 10,000 or $20,000 and apply it like if there's, and it happens all the time when there's flooding in India, we're the first people to be sending checks over for medicine and for doctors to get into these villages and rebuild bridges and all the stuff that happens when these areas get decimated. If I haven't found a company that um, does those certifications and then also backs it up with support in these local, like, kind of forgotten areas. Like, everyone knows Delhi, everyone knows Jaipur, like, sort of the Golden Triangle in India. But we're working, like, like, when I tell my friends who are Indian, like, where I'm going in India, they're like, we don't even go there. Yeah. So, like, wow. it's, so I, I this is just like a personal thing for me. It's yeah. not required, correct? It's not required, yeah. no. Um, well, just, I don't want to miss this point. You're telling me a little bit about your military experience. Oh, I was in the military for two years. Oh, come on, tell me. You were with... I was in the Air Force, yeah. I was in the Air Force. I was a contract officer, so I, uh, I wrote the contracts between small businesses and the military itself. Um, Did that help you in your leadership style and some of the things that you... Did, no, some of the things you born leader. What's that? You were born, naturally, naturally born leader. Okay, yeah. um, You probably were. You probably were the ones that people... I've always really, like, from, like, middle school, I've always liked reading about leadership and how, you know, the power of someone with a vision can really rally people to get, like, get things moving in the right direction. Is there anybody that inspires you, that either old time or currently, that you look and say, that's the kind of, you know, there's some tidbits I take from your leadership styles? Um, I think, like, currently, Aubrey Marcus, he runs a, um, a company on it down in Austin. Uh, they do uh, supplements, and he has he has a pretty cool company okay. that I like his leadership style. Um, yeah, back in the day, it was you know studying the generals and like how you rally the troops, but yeah, there's there's that balance. And yeah. Okay. Did I you always want to be an entrepreneur? Like no, we have no two thirds idea. of this class want actually want to start businesses. <laughs> so ten years ago, when you were an entrepreneur, like so, it's gotten sexy. Like being an entrepreneur now in the mm -hmm. past two or three years, like it's a sexy thing too because of Shark Tank or whatever. Yeah. Back in my back in my day, ten years ago, um, being an entrepreneur entrepreneur just meant you couldn't get a job. So <laughs> you created one. So yeah, so I, I created a job for myself. So you didn't say like I mean I can't I didn't the word entrepreneur ever crossed my mine ever in high school or college no so. I mean to be really vulnerable with everyone like I don't even I didn't have the self-esteem I still don't think I have the self-esteem like I I mean I talk to my, my shrink weekly I'm like I don't really know what I'm doing like I don't like the success doesn't even feel like it's a little bizarre to me and like how did I even get here um, I think that's it's important Again, you talk about like asking about fair trade or like why I do things to make my mom proud. Like that authenticity component, like 
some business owners will talk about that. Like, I'm just doing what kind of like I'm doing me. Like this running the business the way I'm doing it feels right, and like that's kind of I'm not looking at like other companies necessarily as a benchmark. Um, because I, I did I didn't set off to go make like tons of money or anything. Right. Like, you're already, you've already surpassed your wildest imagination. It sounds. Yeah, like. a- absolutely. I mean, at the same time, I wanted to make sure I had money in the bank. So I would tell like the backbone of all of this. I mean, all of it sounds sexy and Facebook and millions of dollars, but the backbone of all of this is saving your money. Like from the beginning, from when I started making my first paycheck, fifty percent of it was going into a savings account, and then I learned how to invest it. And that's what actually fuels the business. Did so, you learn that from your parents or my grandparents? My, my mom my mom got me like she planted the seed and then again going online, working with a financial advisor, mm-hmm. um, learning how to learning how to be comfortable in the language of money. Um, that's the thing that really supports everything. Because I know that we can have a whole bunch of shitty months and I can still write a check. It's a G-rated class. Sorry. Crappy months. A whole bunch months. of crappy months and I can still write a check for payroll at the end of the day. And that's a place of empowerment because I still own, and my husband owns 49%. I own 51%. That's so right. We didn't get to that part. 51% of the company. She's the boss. I am the boss, yeah. But um, You make him work late sometimes? He works late all the time. Okay. <laughs> but, um, and he came late. I mean, he didn't start early on. I mean, he, he just was... came on full time two months ago. Oh, two months ago. Okay, yeah, originally came... he was going to come on in January, and then okay. his other job sort of wrangled him back. And I was... So he literally quit a good job, right? Yeah, he was an electrical engineer. Yeah, yeah. to work. So that's pretty good. That's pretty, it's awesome. pretty good. How is that, though? I mean, is it, do you bring it home from, yeah. you do? You just, it's just the way it is. Yeah, we're, we're still navigating. Okay. <laughs> You kind of look like you're dodging that question. No, no. I mean, we do we do bring it home, and at some point you just have to say, okay, enough. We need to focus on our two-year-old who's, like, climbing up the walls right now. Right. So, like. <laughs> That's good. So, I think there are a couple. Yes, Bessie? Um, how did you know that it was, like, a safe time to work full-time for yourself instead of having other jobs? When I could pull a really good paycheck. I did not pull pay from the business for, like, the first four years. Like, I pulled, like, maybe 10000 bucks a year. That's not enough to sustain yourself. When I was, I think I was probably at, um, again, based off my margin. My margins have actually stayed pretty consistent. So we were probably doing just over a quarter million in sales, and I was the only employee. So my benchmark has been, when I've been asked that question, quarter million dollars, I can quit if I can pull 60K out of the business to pay myself, like, a real paycheck, like, taxes being taken out, and then you can hire your next person when you get to a half million dollars. And that between that 250 and half million, it's hard. Um, and That's the benchmark before you can hire somebody? You can hire somebody, yeah. I say every quarter million, up into a million, you can hire, like one per quarter million. And that's kind that's of, that's been, that's, been, that's been a really pretty good benchmark for me. And then when you get to that point at a million, um, you should be make, like pushing on your team. I cleared out that original team, but pushing on that team to create systems so to get you to that next place because you're just trying to get that kind of cash base. Uh, I'll get you. You said a couple quick things I want to highlight. One is, how first of all, going from zero employees to one, when you're the first yes. employee, how big of a deal, how stressful or uh, whatever? I love employees and I hate employees. Like, it just, it just all depends. The um, first one, though, is like, I have a family now I'm responsible for. Th- that's exactly it. That, and it's, you, you you take it seriously. Right. Like they have mortgages, they have car payments, they have. How many kids. interviews did you do before you hired that first? Person? Actually, my first employee was a customer of mine. Okay. 
Yeah. So they already bought into the... Yeah, they understood the brand, and, and, and that, the other, that worked out pretty well. And the other thing you said is you pretty much have cleared out that leadership or that first group of... So people. the best analogy I got from a consultant that I hired, and she said, so you're, you're, you have your business or you have your life, and you're in an elevator going to the top, and those doors open at each floor, and sometimes people get in, and sometimes you got to push people off, and doors close, and you go up to the next place. And I was like... Oh, I like that. So I carry that around. Just make sure you're at an actual floor. At an actual floor. Well, sometimes you want to push them out before Sorry. that, but you have to wait until you get to a floor. <laughs> um, that's actually a good analogy. And the thing is, and I've said this before, that you know who's really good at certain stages of a company? There are some people in a startup who love the lack of structure sometimes, and we're going to kind of figure it out as we go along. Yeah. That person may not be so good when you hit another level, when we start to hit some structures, we start having employee handbooks. We start having, you know, That's right? what happened to the first employee. She didn't like the structure. Right. I was like, peace. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Evan. Uh, was there anything like this that discouraged you from, like, continuing or trying to build your business? Yeah, like every day. Every day. It's, it's um, I, I've always had a small sign in my office somewhere that says this is a test in self-reliance. And um, it is... Business ownership, I think, if you're kind of doing it right, it kind of hurts a little bit. It's like if you're in the gym, like if you're making progress, like those reps hurt a little bit more, you know? Um, you know, you go through like an audit with the state that's just like a normal audit and you go like, oh my God, like I don't know what I'm doing. I just want to like move to, I don't know, North Dakota and be done with it. So you, you constantly deal with that. And I, I think, you know, I do a lot of journaling um, and just a lot of long-term planning as well to try keeping me on the straight and narrow. Um, and it's, I don't want to say like, oh, it's just, you know, I, I walk in and it's like butterflies and sunshine every day. You know, it's a, it's a good grind, but if you're passionate, and again, going back to that authenticity idea, if you are really, if, if you're connected with your mission, like for me, we're really mission-oriented, if you're connected with that mission, um, that is a huge driver for you. So. Since you're um, self-financed, you don't have VCs or other investors who are kind of like breathing on your neck. But do you think, yeah, do you think about exit strategies? What, I'm, what, you know, what, what looks like the way I want to end this? When we had Hyla yes. here, he talked about he gets these itches yes. to do the next thing or yeah. something. So, what, do you have an exit strategy? Um, I'm actually working on that. I just hired a consultant, and you know, talking about the uh, the current event that you just brought yeah. up. Um, the consultant, he, 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 it was a new piece of advice for me, but he's like, when you build a business, you should always just look at it as a separate entity that it could be gone tomorrow. And like, I've gotten very married, like Darnke Yarn and Nicole Snow were like one identity pretty much. Um, so we have to kind of unpack that and pull me away mm. a little bit. And even if you never sell it or you never have an exit strategy, um, I think it's important to know that it's not one and the two. Like I've made that mistake. So when the sales are down, so is my like, so is my attitude on. And that goes outside of just even being um, the leader of a company. Even that your identity and work. I mean, yes, I do feel my identity wrapped up in what I do, but I yeah. try to fight that because who yeah. you are is so much more than what you do. It is. In terms yeah. of employee wise, businesses can like come and go. So, like we don't realize kind of how fragile they can be. It takes like you know I know so many people whose businesses have been wiped out because of a law. You know, like, you have no power over that. So that's a little bit frightening. So, like, to be able to separate that. But in terms of an exit strategy, what we're considering um, is structuring what's called an ESOP, which is an employee stock option pro program. Oh. 
um, which it has a couple of cool benefits. It, you know, I have a, an amazing team of people working for me right now. It allows them to actually take ownership of the company. It'll allow me to step out and I can act as a consultant for as long as needed on the company while I go grow you know, the other companies that I want to. Um, and then that company, an ESOP-structured uh, ESOP company, can grow tax-free as well, which is really cool because yeah. we're right now passed through getting taxed at almost 50%. Wow. Taxes at 50%? 48.6, I'm sorry. My Let me goodness. be a little more precise. Wow. Yeah. Wow, we talked a little bit about taxes last class. and um, Like regulations, this one guy was um, in the textbook talks about it costs him like $10,000 per employee per year just to meet government regulations. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when um, you get hired, your employer is actually paying almost 7% more just for the privilege of hiring you just in um, employment tax. So there's... If you see your boss ever stressed out, that might be why. <laughs> Last question, and then um, we'll say goodbye. Well, sort of a question, sort of a comment. There's a, um, a shop on Van Bracken Avenue here in the city mm -hmm. called Her Treasure Box. Yeah. Are you familiar with yeah. it? That was my question. Are you familiar with it? Yeah. Um, because they have sort of a similar philosophy. They yeah. are all their, it's a nonprofit organization, and all of their um, profits are going to uh, help enslaved and uh, human trafficking. Yeah. And that's, you know, a big issue in India. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm, fam I'm familiar with the, uh, with, with the center. Um, we are a for-profit business, though. I think a lot of people think we're a non-profit right. business. We are a for-profit business. Uh, one of the um, other components in terms of exit strategy and creating entrepreneurship within the workplace, we've structured it um, so we have a profit share plan at the end of the year. So. If everyone's shipping in and we're doing things like really well and we're more profitable than expected, I'm writing a check and that's going into people's retirement plans. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're working for yourself. Yeah. You, I mean, employees, when you talk about the ESOP yes. especially too, it's like stewards, I believe, is one of those. Oh, right? So, you know, you actually feel like when I go into work for the day, I'm actually going in. To work for yourself, yeah. So. You know that that's quick. Uh, if you have one piece of advice for a new entrepreneur, what would it be? Good one. Excellent. Um, that's a great question. I would tell you to, um, I would tell you two things. Save, save like I told you to save, and that fifty percent of your paycheck, like work your work your day job, um, and save the other half and learn how to not be afraid to live off of like ramen and a, you know, <laughs> and like a studio PBJ. apartment. Because yep. um, like that's my husband and I joke about that all the time. We're like, if it all falls to crap. Um, we will like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> if it all falls away, though, like we're happy to go back to that hustle place because that's like that's how we started out when we got married. And it's all good. Awesome. Um, so you never have that fear. Um, and then the second I'd say is to um, soak up as much online um, tutorials as you can when it comes to digital marketing. If you're looking to be in like the e-commerce and digital field, like for me it kind of only makes sense. Like, I have prospecting audiences that are multi-millions, big and deep. So, like, to me, online is my comfort zone. Um, you get immediate feedback <coughs> if your headsets are working and stuff like that. And there's plenty, there's, there's plenty out there. Have you, um, thank you, that's awesome. I mean, and that means going a little bit beyond just your coursework, like I'm getting my associate's degree now, and hopefully you guys go on. But if you go, who's been on my LinkedIn account? Has anyone checked out my LinkedIn account? Um, You'll see some classes. Have you got my LinkedIn account? Okay. So um, is he legit or whatever? 
Um, I took classes through Coursera. I don't know if you ever heard of Coursera, C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A. Free classes. If you want to buy a certificate program, you can. I don't do that. But I've gone to like Wharton School and certain things that I didn't go to school for, um, for uh, PR. You know, I went to school for journalism. So I'm like, I know I need a lot to learn. And so I wound up going and taking digital marketing classes and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of free resources out there just for the knowledge. We may not get a degree. It doesn't matter. So yeah. let's give it up for Nicole.